Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant collaboration of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we are here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim, from bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of the wonderful memoir, The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. We are proud to have ZooMed Laboratories as the founding sponsor of Exotic Pets. ZooMed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile and amphibian supplier in the world from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man who still runs it. Renowned as the international leader in UVB and heat lighting, ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools in the U.S., which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. We're also sponsored by Oxbow Animal Health, the one brand that has stood out for more than 30 years as the leader in health and wellness for small mammals. Veterinarians, rescues, and passionate pet parents worldwide trust Oxbow to support the health and happiness of their small pets. Oxbow provides for rabbits and guinea pigs, ferrets and chinchillas, hamsters and gerbils, mice and rats, because these small pets have big hearts and require special nutrition and care. Oxbow has everything needed for their best life, the right hay and nutritionally complete foods, treats and supplements, litter and bedding, and a whole line of enrichment products created so your little loved ones can chew, play, hide, and explore every day. We're also brought to you by the bird food specialist Zupreme, which started with a revolutionary yet simple idea, provide exceptional diets for extraordinary animals. Best known as the bird nutrition specialist, Zupreme creates many foods for birds of all sizes, and they also make a variety of treats to appeal to every sort of bird and enhance their lives. I am so thrilled to be able to start a new year with such a favorite, beloved person, Dr. Doug Mater. I always feel like I'm the last person, Doug, to to join the fan club, the Dr. Doug fan club. You're an amazing human, a great doctor, and such a great pet parent yourself. You have such an array of pets. I want to talk about ball pythons, which are a beloved reptile, but can you just give people a little rundown so we can, at the beginning of 2024, you can all relate to the incredible array of animals who share Doug and his what his doctor, veterinarian doctor wife's Jerry's life. Who who are your family members that have fins and feathers and furs and stuff? Well, happy New Year, Tracy, and thanks as always for having me on. Yeah, my my uh, pet family is definitely my immediate family, and we're blessed with. Uh, Three tortoises, all rescues. We have two snakes, both rescues. I have a bird that was a hand-me-down and two cats and two dogs, one of which is a shelter rescue. 
And uh, they're, the, they're definitely my sunrise and sunset. That's really lovely. And you've often called your macaw the light of your life um, after Jerry, your wife. Um, I, th- I think it's really important for people to understand that you walk the walk. You don't just talk the talk. And that these animals, you understand them, you care about them. And your fish, just say a word about your fish. You know, you, you talked at one point in a conversation we were having with, with somebody in the pet industry about a horrific hurricane that had happened. You live in Key West on, on a beach that is really the most magnificent house and beach ever, and the macaw can go outside and the tortoises are outside. But when it came through, talk about your fish and what they meant to you and how you had plans, shelter plans for everybody but the fish because of the size of the tank. Can you talk about that so people understand the special demands of exotic pet owners if there's a a, dis- a natural disaster? Yeah, well, it's funny because people don't realize that you can have a human-animal bond with a fish, but you yes. most certainly can. I mean, some of these fish that I had, I had over 10 years, and two of them in particular uh, have a, an eel named Ron, and then I have a, a lionfish named Sushi, and <laughs> both of them I hand feed every day because wow. they can see out just like you can see in. And so when I come home at the end of the day, they all rush. It's a fairly large tank, so they rush to the side of the tank facing the front door. And you can see them just vibrate with excitement because they know they're going to get fed. They know me. And then if I walk past the tank, they rush to the other end of the tank. And they're like, where are you going? Where are you going? And then when I come back with their food, they all get excited. And they come up to the top of the tank and have little tongs. And I hand feed them all. And sushi, the lionfish, is hilarious. Because, like, if I'm in the tank cleaning and not feeding him, he comes up to the top and he squirts water at me. Like, hey, no you. kidding. Hey, hey, you're supposed to be feeding me. Wow. So they have incredible personalities. But to get back to your question, um, when the hurricane came, you know, you have all these plans to evacuate because you just have to. You can't stay and, you know, ride out a, hur- a Category 5 hurricane. So, you know, you, you take the dog, you take the birds, the snakes, everything goes. But how do you transport? 150 pound or 150 gallon aquarium where you could try and box up each fish individually but it comes to a point where it's just impractical and so i had set up three backup systems for electricity and for filters so i had backups to the backups for the filters and for the the pumps and the batteries and i had batteries and waterproof containers and you know i did everything i could possibly do and then you never really think that you're going to lose everything. You just think, okay, there'll be some roof damage or there'll right. be some, you know, some trees down, but you don't really think you're going to lose your house. So unfortunately we did. And when we came back, everything was destroyed. The 150 gallon aquarium was still there, but it was in a different place. But interestingly enough, the aquarium did not flip over and the top did not come off, wow. which means the fish did not get out and swim away, which good and bad, you don't want lionfish running around where they don't belong. But at the same time, the thought that they actually died because they had no power. They, you know, the, there was no circulation, there was no filtration, there was no aeration. And so I got back to my house as soon as I could post-storm and, you know, finding everything devastated and then finding my tank in a different place, but still upright, half full with water and all my fish were dead. So that was devastating. To this day, that was that was the biggest loss. Well, I have to say that it touched me greatly at that moment of you telling it because there are some great scientists and ethologists who 
are, are very fish-oriented, Jonathan Balcom being one of them. He, he wrote a wonderful book and thinks it's terrible that people refer to fish as fish as opposed to fishes. They're all different. They have different uh, abilities and sentience and relationships. And until you, I didn't know what a close bond a human could have with a fish. And the person we were with that you were telling the story to kind of laughed out loud. Now, maybe it was nervous laughter or just kind of ignorance. And it, I could see on your face that it really hurt you, the way it hurts somebody when their cat or dog dies or their snake or their bird. And someone says, that's okay, you can get another. Yeah, I, that's I like just, if somebody's I, child dies. Oh, yeah. oh, your kid died? Ugh, you can have another kid. You can breed again. You can find one yeah. somewhere else. So, you know, it's. It, I just think it's important that, that people listening understand that you may and in fact are one of the leading exotic vets in the world and your understanding of animals of so many species, including many that live in zoos, you have a special degree for that, that you know about them, but that you care about them. You see them as individuals. So you you walk the walk that we all walk when we make these relationships and these commitments to animals. And 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 so I, I think it's wonderful that you honor that relationship. Let's talk about ball pythons. Now, I will be the first to say I, I played with snakes as a kid, garter snakes, garden snakes. I don't even know what's the right name. That's all I ever Gar- called them. And I, I liked them, and I found them fascinating, and I liked finding them as an adult when they would be in a wood chip pile. But I've never had one in an aquarium as a pet. But ball pythons are so beloved. So talk a little bit about why somebody would pick a ball python as their reptile, and what are the ways in which they can give that ball python a, a sort of true snake life to the best of their ability? Well, our ball pythons are, you know, they're one of the, the pythonidae in the pythonidae family. And it's, it's uh, they're a very, very cool snake because they're, depending on what source you read, they're either the first or the second uh, most popular snake pet in the United States. I think they're probably the first. Um, what's nice about them is that, you know, people want a big python. They want something really big and cool, but they don't get that big. You know, I mean, oh, a Burmese funny. python, which is a wonderful, cool, very nice, they make really good pets, but, I mean, they'll be 20 feet long. And so what happens is that most people get them, and then all of a sudden they get to be 6, 7 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, and they, they can't afford to feed them, and they can't any better place to keep them. So they end up trying to give them to the zoos, or worst-case scenario, they let them go. Ball pythons, I mean, I think back over 40 years, probably the biggest one I've ever seen is maybe 6 feet, and that's pushing it. Uh, usually they're in the four to five foot range when they're full grown. And so they don't need a ton of space and they have a fairly robust body. Um, so they're a very attractive looking snake. And what's really interesting about them is that they're fairly easy keepers. And if you really want to get into it, the genetics of, of breeding ball pythons has really gone kind of crazy because there are dozens and dozens of different, what they call color morphs. So you can get, you know, the typical ball python is your typical python looking snake, brown and black and gold. Um, in which, gray. Is, which is very nice anyway. I mean, it's not like that's oh, shabby, right? I think they're beautiful. But now you can get albinos, you can get leucistics, which means they're white with black eyes. You can get goldens, you can get all, just tons and tons of color morphs. And some of them, they look like candy. They're absolutely beautiful. Okay, so let's talk about this breeding for a different look for, let's say, the prestige or the glamour or something of having something different. In, a, in the, the animals I know the best, which is 
horses, dogs, and cats. Albino animals are actually very unhealthy and are for are, they're a, if you will a genetic defect I want to say but you can you can correct me on that but they're certainly to do with recessive genes and therefore I don't know aren't they prone to more illnesses or somehow well, you genetically up on a really good point upside you know, down all the in, the way they they get these color morphs is by extensive inbreeding now some of them. There are so many of them out there now that, you know, they're on F6, F10 generations, and the it's no longer necessary to inbreed to get the genetic recessives that you had to do initially to get them started. Okay. And so, like, the albinos are healthy. Um, but there are some, there are definitely some color morphs, and the, the spider is probably the one that first comes to mind, that they've done so much in in intensive inbreeding to get the spider color morph that they come with neurologic defects wow. and people will buy them knowing that they're not neurologically normal just because they're such a cool looking snake. But that's like some of these dog breeds, you know, yes. the Frenchies and stuff. Yes. Hey, let's breed these animals to the point where they can't even breed naturally. And then if they do breed naturally, they can't breathe. So or swallow. Yeah. So we're kind of seeing that now with some of the color morphs, um, that's a whole different side of discussions, but let's say, let's just say the vast majority of the color morphs now are so well outbred, um, but they still maintain the genetic recessives that they're looking for, the heterogeneity that the breeders are looking for. But you get these absolutely incredibly beautiful colors combined with these wonderful personalities. I mean, the, the, the ball pythons make a fantastic beginner pet for several reasons. One is that, as I said, they don't get really big. They don't need to eat a rabbit, okay? Um, so it's easy to get food for them. It's, you know, nowadays on the internet, you just, in, in fact, it's funny. I Just before you contacted me, I was putting in my rodent order so wow. I could get my uh, my mice for my snakes for the, for the new year. Um, oh, so you can Lord. sort them online. You know, they, they just come online and they come frozen, nicely packaged, and it's very sanitary and healthy food. And, um, and the and mice, to some extent, haven't suffered, right? They're bred for this, and then are they gassed? quietly to death or something i believe that's how they're they're, they're sacrificed because you can't give them any kind of chemical that could pass through to the the prey or the predator species um and then they're packaged up sanit in, in a sanitary way so that you can handle them and then properly feed them off to your your snakes um do you have a so, separate freezer do you have like your reptile food freezer or is yeah, it mixed in with your no no no, no. I, I don't mix animal food with human food um but yeah, so they're they're very easy keepers, and when it comes time to feed them, you just take your mouse or rat, whatever size snake you have, and put it in some warm water. Thought because you know the snakes sense the thermal energy from the the warm body, and then that's how they find it and eat it. So um, that's what they sense: the thermal energy, not the movement. You don't well, need the, to a, make a pretend the, the mouse. Yeah, a lot of the snakes have infrared sensors, and, by, and pythons are one of the ones that do it. So that's why they're so efficient hunters at night. Oh. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to put a cold mouse in there. They're not going to really, it's not moving, so they're not going to see the movement. And if it's cold, they're not going to sense the thermal energy from the, 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 the born body of the carcass. So you warm it up first and put it in the cage. The snake senses it, comes right over and snarfs it down. Snarf, and then, and then it doesn't is, have to eat for a while, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the beauty of snakes is, you know, that they're easy, easy keepers. They don't make noise. Um, you know, many snakes can go, depending on the type of snake, you know, uh, week to weeks or even a month between meals. Wow. And 
you know, and then when they poop, they poop in one nice little compact poop. You clean it up with a baggie and done. Sweep it up with a dustpan, and boom, you're done. And then they, they don't stink. You know, they're they're. I think they're great pets, and they do respond to people. They definitely know their owners. They can hear. They don't have external ears, but they have internal ears, and they can hear right through their scales. So again, and the other thing about ball pythons being good first pets is that they get their name ball python because when they're scared. They don't get aggressive. They right. curl up into a ball. Nice. And they actually hide their head in the center of the ball. So the bitey part with all the teeth is not on the outside where it's going to do any damage to anybody. It's balled up in the center. And that's the evolutionary way to protect the snake because you want to protect the head. Right. So you just pick up this bowling ball of snake muscle and you just carry it where you want to carry it. My but, goodness. Know, friendly snake's not going to ball up like that. But a, a, you know, a wild snake... Rather than get aggressive and try and kill you, it's just going to ball up, kind of like a possum. Oh, that's so cute. And so that's certainly a, a better relationship to have, although you don't want them to be scared in the first place. Can we just uh, finish up with, uh, uh, you said you don't need a rabbit. Okay, so is there some sort of snake you do need a rabbit for? Oh, sure. Um, the bigger pythons and the larger boas, they'll take rabbits. And are they you know, are have, they sourced have, the same way as the mice by specialty places? Yeah. Yeah, that's the best place to get them. Oh, boy. It's a whole other world, folks. We're not talking about, you know, which of the many bags on a shelf you should choose from. It's pretty straightforward. It's like f natural food in and then natural elimination out. All right, ball pythons are obviously the number one most popular for a good reason. And next time we talk, we'll talk about geckos, which I think are also extremely popular. And I'll, sure. I'll find out more about what they need to eat and, and, uh, and whether they can hear me or not hear me with their ears, wherever their ears may be. It's always so much fun to learn from you, Dr. Doug. And those of you who already know all this, it can confirm what you don't know, what you do know and are doing correctly, and what you don't know and maybe need to add or change in the life you're giving your exotics. Thanks again, Doug. You bet. Have a happy new year, Tracy. And to everybody else as well. Dr. Doug Mater and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets and our desire to educate and inspire you to give your exotics their best possible life. This show is brought to you by the wonderful companies that cater to the needs of exotic pets. From Zubad Laboratories, where they make everything you need to keep your reptiles and amphibians in tip-top shape, to Oxbow Animal Health, with health and wellness solutions for small mammals, and Zupreme, the company dedicated to your bird's nutrition. And if you haven't read Dr. Doug's book, The Vet at Noah's Ark, yet, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy.